0: Welcome to Pole Creek. So good to see you guys. It is awesome when God shows up in the worship. I'm thankful we serve a living God today who loves each and every one of us and who is active in our lives. You know, there's a lot of times where I don't feel like my prayers are getting any higher than the ceiling. I don't feel like he's working in my life, but you know what he is. And we see the fruit of that on down the road and how he has never forsaken us and he's never left us. So this morning, I am really excited. We've got um, a missionary family here with us this morning, the Wagners. You guys uh, know the Wagners. They were here a couple years back. They're serving in Albania um, with the International Mission Board, which is the Southern Baptist Convention arm um, of our international missionaries. And um, we had several folks from our church who actually went over there on a mission trip a few years back, so we are just excited to have them this morning, so um, I'm going to go ahead and ask Jonathan and Whitney if you guys will come on up here, bring your precious little girl with you, and what I've given them this uh, service this morning, Uh, Jonathan's going to preach for us, and he and Whitney are going to share about what's going on in Albania, we look forward to after the service, our missions team is going to be meeting with them as well, so let's give them a warm Pole Creek welcome this morning.
1: Thank you, Ben, and actually before you leave the stage, before you leave the stage, I got something for you guys too. Uh, this is just a small token of our appreciation oh, for your man. all's prayers and partnership for the gospel ministry in Albania. So this is awesome. Romans 15, 19. It's handcrafted in Albanian. I don't know what that is. It's an olive wood. I don't know. Some kind of wood. Some kind of tree that died for us to have this thing. <laughs> anyway, it tells the story about how Paul went and preached the gospel all the way around to Illyricum, which is present-day Albania. So we want to leave that for you guys. Well, you guys, you guys so can much. remember us in prayer. You, we appreciate that. I believe Blair has something she wants to, she wants to say. Okay, Arthur, um, Johnny, Martuar me Whitney, they came in for me, they came in Okay, so anyway, that's a little bit of Albanian for you. We'll speak in English. I don't know if we have any Albanians in here. Um, but uh, anyway, we're the Wagner's. I'll let Whitney introduce us. Yep,
2: I'm Whitney. This is Jonathan. And Blair, Blair's our oldest, she's seven, and we have um, Hallie, who's four, and Judson, who is 20 months old. I think they're, well, we have a slideshow somewhere with yes, a picture. Yes, we do have a slide. Um, I was going to say, coming. they're on the screen. There, it is. there we go. There they are. Um, we have been in Albania for, we lived there for three years, and I um, think of the last time we visited with you guys, it's been probably almost four years now, and um, so we When we felt the call to go into missions, um, it started for me when I was about 14, um, and it took him a little bit longer, but um, (laughs) no, we had, in 2015, we just had um, just one of those years where, uh, like, so many things kept going wrong, um, just between sickness and um, some problems in our home church and death, and just, um, it really propelled us forward to, um, just to, to submit to this call that we were feeling to missions, just uh, realizing that every day people were were dying and um, all over the world and had never heard the name of Jesus. So that's kind of what pushed us. Um, that last that last bit to to go ahead and, and start this process to to be um, to serve overseas. And um, yeah. So where is Albania? Jonathan's going to talk about that. Yeah.
1: Where is Albania? So I don't need that. I have a oh, mic. That's okay. Right. Um, so. A lot of people try to play it off like they know where Albania is, Uh, but the truth is I didn't really know where it was at before we moved over there or before I went to Greece on a short-term trip. So Albania is just east of Italy, kind of like the the boot of Italy, the hill of Italy is kind of back kicking Albania. It's the pink country there on the map, north of Greece. So those, I think Italy and Greece are the two landmarks we know as Americans, so that's Albania. So next slide is, we're going to show you some famous Albanians. Does anybody recognize the lady on your left? Mother Teresa was Albanian, which is the guy in the middle. I've yet to find anybody who knows who this guy is, but he's an important guy. This is Skanderbeg. He's, I could tell you way too much information about this guy. Anyway, and and it'll bore you guys. But anyway, he's the Albanian that fought off the Ottoman Turks and kind of saved Western Europe um, from the, the Turks. And so if it weren't for this guy, we might all be Muslim today and be speaking Turkish. I don't know. But so this guy kind of saved Europe, Western Europe, Italy from the Ottoman uh, invasion. Then you know, those two guys down there, that's Jim and John Belushi, who are also Albanian. So that's a fun fact. Um, so this is, we we'll me tell you a little bit about Albania. We're going to start in ancient times. So Albania goes back way, way, way back. They can trace their lineage thousands thousands of years ago. But for us, really of significant interest, and in kind of the plaque that I gave uh, Ben is uh, the r- verse in Romans 15, 19, where Paul talks about you know, preaching the gospel uh, where it hasn't gone before. And he actually went to Illyricum. And so it says, by the power, this is Paul talking by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So ancient Illyricum included Albania. So we think that Paul probably preached in the area that we're in, in Albania. So more information about Albania is that this, is, this really um, shaped Albanians today. So when you try to reach Albanians for the gospel, they're Muslim because they were ruled by the Ottoman Empire for 500 years. And it was not a pleasant occupation. So they really put a lot of pressure on them. A lot of Albanians converted from Catholicism or from uh, Orthodoxy to Islam. That's the reason why about 60% of Albanians are Muslim today. In 1954 through 85, Albania was ruled by communist dictator Enver Hoxha. The guy was crazy, uh, as most dictators are. And so he built concrete bunkers. To this day you can see these concrete bunkers. They're about I don't know, I think he built at one time about 500,000 concrete bunkers for 3 million people. So the guy was a little paranoid. So he thought that the US or the British Brits were going to come in and invade them. I don't even think we were they weren't even on our radar. But anyways, they were very paranoid. Uh, so that they live with that communism. That shaped them too. And that's the reason why a lot of Albanians today don't really have any faith. They don't really believe in anything. They'll tell you they're Muslim, but they don't, uh, they don't pray. They don't go to the mosque. They don't, they don't have any kind of religious observance or life because of that atheism um, that was kind of forced upon them. All churches and mosques were closed during this time. In fact, in 1965, um, in Hoxha the dictator, declared Albania to be the world's first atheistic state. So that really shaped them. So you're dealing with a nominal Muslim people shaped by atheism and uh, Marxism. So now, he's going to tell you a little bit about our ministry in Albania.
2: Yeah, so this is the church that we planted along with our team and our partners. Um, in the one picture, we can see our first service. So, in our new building, which I'll show you in just a minute, um, but that was our first service. We had lots of believers join us just to support us and encourage us. And we also had a lot of non believers as well. Um, and there's our team, um, our church team there on the right and here is our building before so when we got it it needed a lot of work it was a coffee bar and one side one side was a coffee bar the other side was a call center um we did some work we are not professionals so we had a professional do the the hard stuff but we even the kids got in there they play, and, yeah you see Blair uh, to
1: work right there in the middle
2: working yeah cleaning, cleaning the, windows. the windows and Hallie was scraping some paint off the floor so they even had a little part in it so Um, and then our finished product there's um, our building Um, you can see our worship room there and we have this these wonderful glass windows and doors all around and when we first moved in we the whole community just wanted to know what we were doing like and they were so excited we were restoring it and so we we got to have a lot of good spiritual and gospel conversations just because we were there working on this building. Um, we know that God led us to this this specific place for this specific church. Um, so we're really excited about that.
1: All right. So I want to talk to you about this. That's our main work. But we also have other partners that we're trying to help. And one of these partners you guys help with. And so this is Goosey. You guys that, that from Pole Creek that went and served with us. We serve with Goosey and his church, which is uh, Spring of Life Baptist Church in Bathory. And so uh Goosey is a young pastor. I don't know how old Goosey. Is. Goosey's is like, he's younger than me. Anyway, he's in his upper 20s now. He took over this, this church because the missionary that was there before him died. And uh, so Goosey kind of was thrust into this position of leadership. He recently got a, uh, a teaching position. So this is a huge praise. Goosey was looking for a job for years and years. He finally found a job. So now he's like a technology teacher at a high school which is a great job for him because it gives him a flexibility that he can be there at the church every Sunday and preach. And he can also meet students through this, uh, this job that he has. But, yeah, please pray for Goosey. We want, to, we want you guys to partner with us. You, we would love for you guys to join us. Come over to Albania again and help partner with Goosey. Um, but just keep him in, in your prayers. And his ministry there, he's got a lot of young people there um, and some older, a lot of widowed ladies and stuff. So he's in a very hard context. He's kind of a village uh, context in Albania and life in the village is a little bit harder than it is in the city and so uh, pray for Goosey um, but he is definitely a, a valued partner of ours another guy that you guys met while you were there would be Palum. okay and Palum is director of the Albania Bible Institute uh, here's Palum at a conference he, he does uh, he he provides the Albanian church with a lot of resources and Bible studies and things like that um, so the Albanian church um, can grow in their faith and and grow in that discipleship process and so also please pray for Palum. We'd love for you guys to come back over, too, and, uh, and meet with Paloum, encourage him in his ministry as well. Um, and so now we're going to move into gospel relationships. And so we want to share you, with you a little bit, like, as a church, uh, Whitney kind of shared about our building, which has been a great way for us to share the gospel with our neighbors who are curious about like, what we're doing. And we have all these glass windows. Uh, the team that went to Albania knows, but drinking coffee is a big deal in Albania. They drink tiny coffees, little espressos, but they drink... Uh, I don't drink a lot of them, but they, it takes them a long time to drink their coffee. Okay, there's a lot of socialization going on, um, so we invite them into our church. We get to know them. We share the gospel with them. We love on them, but also we do that in our everyday life. So I want to tell you about Niguel and Bouyar. I'm to try to be brief because I'm really that's not my spiritual gift. But Niguel is a guy who his parents owned the bakery beside of our old church. He started coming because of that. He knew Samuel, who is our church um, planner's uh, son from school. He started coming. He's learning more and more, growing and growing, but I don't know if he's at a place where he's really committed his life to Christ, but he's really close to that. And so priests pray for Nigel that he would make that decision, that final step in faith. that He really sees um, the gospel and he sees Christianity as a way that he can kind of better his life. And we're trying to tell him that, yes, but it is a surrender to God. It's not just one more thing that you can add to a list of things so you can get better. Um, So anyway, that's Nigel. We have Bouyar, who's my uh, language teacher. Buyar in the picture is sitting beside of me over there. And uh, anyway, so Buyar grew up under communism. His parents were Muslim. They kind of tried to keep their faith. Buyar, in the early days of when Albania was free in the early 90s, he met some Catholic missionaries. So he actually converted to Catholicism. But then he shared with me later that he didn't really understand anything. He just got baptized in the Catholic church. They didn't explain anything to him. And so uh, I've been, we've been studying the Bible together as part of our, our language lesson. So it's been really cool. And he's also been coming to our church. So... Uh, also continue to pray for Bujar. now Whitney's going to share about our neighbors
2: yeah so we um we actually moved um, from the original city that we went to when we first moved to Albania so we moved to the capital city um two years into our term and we are just we love our neighbors they um none of them are believers but um our landlords live in our house on the ground floor and then we live above them and they just they're wonderful people they're they're muslim but and they don't speak any english they take care of our kids where are their names um those are their names and they take care of our kids and love on them and feed them and um we actually got to cook thanksgiving so we did a whole like everything all like all the desserts everything um last thanksgiving for them and so they had never experienced an american thanksgiving um, so we got to, and we, you know, we got to pray with them and share the gospel with them through that and just having them in our home. So we try to do those things with our neighbors, have them in our home and just hopefully always glorify Christ with our, with our actions and our words when we're around them. So.
0: Hey,
1: I also want to share with you guys about Mara Glenn and TJ. You guys <laughs> met Mara Glenn, you guys from Pole Creek that came out to Albania. So Mara Glenn met us that day when we had that, uh, cookout at the park. So Marglen's the first, the first Albanian we ever we met in Albania. We stayed in his house when we first came there. We stayed there for two weeks, just an Airbnb. He was not a believer. But through that relationship, we got to know him and his family. And we've kept that relationship going. we kept that friendship going with them. We've shared many times with them. They're really not that interested in spiritual kind of things. Uh, but we're still uh, good friends. And um, I don't know. I think it's cool that, that he's the first guy we met in Albania and we still keep in touch with him. I still consider him a, a good friend today. So let's Marglen continue to pray for him. That Winnie's gonna share about yeah. her hairdresser. Yeah,
2: Hirie is the lady that does my hair in Albania, and um, she actually lived in America for 10 years. Um, you can see there, she's she's done all, all the girls in our family, <laughs> all of our hair. Um, she's a really sweet lady, but she also grew up under communism, and when I first started talking to her, um, she, she said, well, I'm, I'm Muslim because my dad, my, my grandfather, they're Muslim, um, but I also go to Mass, and I've been to the, the Methodist church with a missionary friend of mine. Um, so this just explains the, the confusion um, that they, you know, they believe, you know, well, we all believe the same God. It's, it's all good. You know, <laughs> we're like, no, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not. And we, we try to explain that to them. So it's a good, it's a good opportunity to share the gospel, of course. Um, but yeah, Hurrier is interesting. Um, it's taken her years to um, just to kind of let her walls down with me. And so um, she, the last couple of times that I was with her, she shared um, a lot of personal stories with me, which really was really cool to to be able to hear from her and, and see the emotion and just hear about her life and her story. She um when when she got married, for example, of the of the struggles under communism, they told her, you know, when she could get married, what she could wear, um, you know, her, her dress had to be a certain way. And then when she had kids, they they gave her a list of names that she could choose from. She said, I couldn't even name my boys what I wanted to name them. So this is just what these people grew up with, and that's, that's their life. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that.
1: So I want to share one, at least one conversion story. This is really the only, like, conversion story that I'm really confident about. I mean, we can pray for Nigel and Bouillard. We hope to baptize them next year. They'll be going through a class where they can learn more about the faith, and we can um, see where they're at there. Uh, but this is Halil. Halil was in jail. So he's actually a Kurd And he was trying to sneak into um, Europe. And he transited through Albania because he heard that was an easy place to transit through. But he got caught in Albania with a fake passport. And so he spent some time in Albanian jail. Um, Through that, some friends of mine are um, chaplains in the jail. And so they shared the gospel with him. And they were frantically looking for a Bible in English because this guy doesn't speak any Albanian. He's a Kurd. He speaks uh, whatever they speak in Kurdistan, and uh, he speaks Turkish. And uh, they asked me, they said, Jonathan, do you have a Bible? And I brought one Bible with me. And so I gave that to them. They gave it to him, And it was Christmas break, and the prison was closed for a while until after New Year's. And they came back, and they said, you know, Halil, did you read the Bible? And he's like, yeah, I read it a couple of times. They said, okay. You re- uh, the whole thing? And so they, they started asking him questions. Like, Halil, like, you know, trying to quiz him. Like, did he really, you know, read this Bible? Turns out that he did. So he was pretty bored. <clears throat> Not a lot to do in the Albanian jail. But, um, <laughs> so... Through that, that, that's how he came to know the Lord. It really wasn't through my friends that were ministering to him in the prison. He's like, no, really reading the Bible is what opened my eyes to the gospel and to God and his love for me and that surrender. And so he did that. And when he got out of jail, we baptized him. So that was pretty cool. Uh, so Halil has an interesting story. He went back to Turkey. He's kicked out of Albania, back to Turkey. We tried to connect him with a church in Turkey. So he's now in a church over there. Uh, another interesting fact about Halil is he had... Um, I don't know, four wives, I believe. So, you know, how do you disciple somebody with that problem? So we're trying to work through that as well. Um, that was okay when he was in before. Um, just some of the struggles you have in the mission field. They don't, they don't teach you the stuff in seminary. So anyway, you're going to figure it out as you go along. But that's all, Leo Praise God for, for his salvation. Um, another thing we want to share with you guys about is um, the Gospel Coalition in Southeast Europe. If you have not heard about the Gospel Coalition, I encourage you guys to check it out. Go to gospelcoalition.com. we got a lot of gospel-centered resources for the church and for believers. And we started a chapter in Albania and actually all over Southeast Europe. If you know the history of the Balkans, these people don't exactly get along. Okay, There's been a lot of wars fought there, a lot of wars that are pretty recent. Um, And so this really united us. We had Christians coming from Albania and Kosovo, Macedonia, Serbia, Bosnia, all these countries, Greece. And we worshiped together and we had a conference together. And it was a really cool unifying thing. It also really serves as a connector for pastors because it can be isolating to be a pastor in Albania or anywhere in Southeast Europe because there are not a lot of Christians. It's like 0.5% of the population is evangelical Christian. So this creates a network for pastors to encourage each other and uh, to kind of spur each other on. So that's Gospel Coalition.
2: And you guys already partner with us. Um, Continue to pray. We we appreciate your prayers. We're so thankful uh, for the support that you guys give us. Um, continue to give to Lottie Moon. Christmas is coming, so um, don't forget about about Lottie Moon. Um, also, advocate for missions wherever you're at. Um, any, any Albania, of course. We want you to tell people about Albania because it is like not a well-known place. People are like, "Oh, Alabama." I'm like, no, Al- <laughs> Albania. <laughs> um, so Alabama tell needs your people. prayers, too. But. <laughs> yeah. Tell people about Albania and and, and our family and, and the work that's being. Um, being you know, done over there, and just for global missions. Just be an advocate wherever you're yeah, at in your community, in your school, in your workplace. Talk about global missions and, and what's going on overseas and what God is doing all over the world, and go on short-term trips. If you've never been on a missions trip, I, I encourage you to do it. It will, it will definitely change your life. I, it did for me. I was 14, and and I was like, "Okay, God, I'm I'm, I'm open to this." So um, I really never thought He would take me all the way to Albania, but <laughs> He did. So, um, and we would love to have you guys again. I, I hope that we can we can plan another trip um, to come and work specifically with us. But if you have another opportunity with another um, you know another place in the world, just please go and 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 let the Lord um, use that. And you can follow us on Facebook. So we um, we don't do regular email updates. We found that Facebook is really um, a good connector. Um, if you're on Facebook, you, can, you have to friend us first. So you have to look for Jonathan or Whitney Wagner on Facebook. Find us as a friend, and then we'll add you to our prayer page because it is a private page. Um, we don't have a ton of high security where we're at, but we do like to keep those things um, out of the public uh, eye. So but if you have any questions about that, you can um, you can see us. We're going to we'll stand out out front at the table there and we have some prayer cards to give you. Um, and if you have any questions out about Albania, we'd love to, to talk to you.
1: Yeah. And those prayer cards have our name. So on Facebook, just type in our name, John the Wagner, Whitney Wagner, and then we'll add you to our prayer page. And we should have mutual friends from the guys that came out to Albania. So you should be able to find us easily. Um, the, the last slide is thank you guys for generosity because you guys already give. So you give through the cooperative program, Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. That's what funds us. So we are Southern Baptist missionaries. And so through the convention of churches, um, even though we don't always see eye to eye on everything, we do about the gospel and partnership and reaching the unreached. And so we want to thank you guys for your partnership with that. And uh, just encourage you guys, because Christmas time is coming up, that you would give to that Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. That's what keeps us on the field, pays our salary, and allows us to live. So thank you guys for your generosity. Um, Thank you guys for your partnership in the gospel. Let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, the Word, Lord. We just uh, we thank you for this time, Lord, to be able to 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 spend here at Pole Creek, Lord. We thank you for this group of believers, Lord. We thank you for um, for calling them unto yourselves, Lord. We thank you for the light that they are in their congreg- in their community. We pray that they would continue to be a light for you, Lord. That they would shine in the darkness, Lord. We thank you for their partnership for the gospel, Lord. Um, their their treasured partners, Lord. We thank you for their willingness to go the willingness to give, and the willingness to pray for us that people may come to know you in a different part of the world. And uh, we thank you that you are drawing people unto yourself around the world, Lord. You are always working, as that song that we just sang said. And Lord, I pray that we would just be mindful of that, Lord. We just stand in all of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So that, uh, yeah. So I got I to gotta talk pretty fast now, because I think that went that went longer maybe than I thought. I hope nobody has lunch plans today. So uh, anyway, uh if you need to step out, you can. So these past three years in Albania have been probably amongst the strangest in my life. I think that goes without saying. So I have to admit that they haven't really matched maybe my expectations going into it about what missions would be like, about what the fruits that I would see or what difficulties laid before me. There have been times of incredible encouragement, but there's also been times of discouragement and hopelessness. But in all these moments, both in the good and the bad moments, I've been reminded of the strength and sovereignty of God. And he has assuredly been my rock. And I trust that many of you guys in your life experience have experienced the ups and downs of life. As well as the ups and downs maybe of our walk with Christ. So I'd like to remind you you all of what the Lord has been reminding me of constantly throughout these past three, three and a half years. And that is his faithfulness. It's not my faithfulness that has been impressed upon me, but rather his faithfulness. If anything, I have been reminded of my weakness, my futility, and my inadequacy. I entered a world that I knew nothing about really. I didn't know anything about Albania. I didn't speak the language. Like a small child, I tried to learn the language with much difficulty and at times frustratingly as I tried to express myself, or better yet, to express the truth of the gospel to a people who seemed indifferent to his message. But I learned to better understand the people with a different culture and a much different life experience. I learned to eat what was put before me with thankfulness and gratitude. And it also also really increased my prayer life because I had to pray that it wouldn't make me ill. And in some cases... I really had to pray hard that it wouldn't make me ill because I knew what I was eating was not good. Thank God most of the food in Albania is pretty good. But when you go to somebody's house, you don't know what what to expect. Uh, You don't learn not to ask questions. Um, (laughs) I have embraced driving in the country, as I'm sure the Pole Creek team can. uh, That also probably increased y'all's prayer life. So y'all were sanctified through my driving in Albania. But I drive like everyone else. And so uh, the rules of the road in Albania are to look out for yourself, to pray that you don't hit anything or anyone, where lanes are just simply suggestions and pedestrians are just simply obstacles to dodge. And all the while, driving in this kind of environment, trying to maintain my sanctification and my witness for the gospel, which I I haven't always, uh, and praying for strength to be that good witness. But in all seriousness, there have been times of humiliation. There have been times of lostness that were in many ways unknown to me before I began this experience. But in the midst of my weakness, I was reminded again Uh, that the task that I'm engaging in is otherworldly, and it could not be achieved through my own efforts. So today I want to remind you guys what you probably already know. And I want to remind myself of something that God has been teaching me over the years that I oftentimes forget, and that is his faithfulness. And so that is our first point, that God is faithful. Without his unswerving and unabashed, steadfast faithfulness, I wouldn't be able to accomplish anything for his kingdom. And I certainly wouldn't be able to earn his love or his forgiveness, but he gave it away to me anyway, knowing full well my inadequacies that I might stand in awe of a Savior that is certainly wor- worthy of my adoration. He invites me to stand with them and to enjoy and delight in knowing him, to feel small in his presence, but at the same time to feel warm in his embrace and secure in that embrace. The stories of revival and life transformation start here. They start with the simple truth of life, that we are broken, but a Savior in his divine forbearance and love has made a way for those who call upon his name. As Paul states in 2 Corinthians five twenty. 21. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we eagerly look forward to the day we will share in his glory. It is God who gives meaning to our existence and to the, gives meaning to the existence of everything. And it is God, in God's exhortation, that he invites us to love others like he has loved us. But, remember, he doesn't place upon us an undue burden. He simply calls us to testify to the fact that he has made a way out of the desert and into a heavenly kingdom. And that God has enabled some to call upon his name. And he will not turn his back on them. So now let's look together at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians. So if you have your Bibles, open it to 2 Corinthians. We're going to start off in, uh, in chapter 3. He reminds this church in turmoil. If you know anything about the church in Corinth, it wasn't a model church. It was a church infiltrated with bad doctrine and with sin. But also this was personal to Paul. So this is a church that Paul helped to establish, and many within this church have begun to turn against him and to question whether Paul's apostolic authority is really authoritative. It's really equal with the other apostles. They have turned against Paul. They have been turned against Paul by his opponents. These attacks on Paul are very personal. Many within the church in Corinth begin to attack Paul because he has suffered so much on his missionary journeys, but how quickly they have forgotten about the sufferings of the Savior that they claim is their Savior. So Second Corinthians is filled with emotional pleas, in part to encourage the remnant of faithful believers in that church, that they may be admonished and instructed in truth in the midst of their own church's turmoil. But also, Paul writes, with such emotion because there is so much at stake, because the Corinthian church's emphasis on prosperity and results are the antithesis of the gospel. Our inclination to elevate our efforts over and above the grace of God is the temptation of Satan. Grace plus faith is the gospel, not faith plus works, not Jesus plus anything else. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is the gospel. That is the only hope that we have. The gospel would cease to be good news if it were contingent on something that we could do, like live a sinless life, which we know we can't. But God requires that we approach him for forgiveness. The truth is we would make terrible gods, and we know that. Our own sinful nature, though, orients us this way you'd think we ought to be self-aware enough to know who we are, to know the struggles that we have, to know our own limitations. And we serve a God who is without sin and is without limitation. So let's make much of him. And this is Paul's message throughout 2 Corinthians and especially in this passage that we're gonna be looking at today in 2 Corinthians three seventeen through 4, 7. Let's read it together. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled... But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So let's begin now with the with phrase in, in chapter 4, verse 1, the phrase, therefore. And so we know when we see a therefore that it refers to something that's preceded it. And so we'll go back to chapter 3, and we'll see what Paul is referring to here when he says therefore. In chapter 3, Paul talks about being ministers of the new covenant. Here, Paul makes the contrast between the law, which God gave Moses, who then proclaimed to the Jewish people, and the gospel, which culminates in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and extends grace to those who repent and believe. So as ministers under the new covenant, we minister out of hope and not out of a spirit of condemnation. We are commissioned to proclaim this message of hope, and this may seem overwhelming at times, but he promises to lead us and to empower us through his Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 3.17. Here, Paul talks about the Lord being the Spirit. And so here, the Spirit is a reference to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who initiates the new covenant. And who Paul, as as, who, as Paul alludes to, that liberates us from the bondage of condemnation and enslavement to sin. This is the freedom we enjoy under the new covenant, which is given to us by the Holy Spirit. And this is a good thing. We should rejoice in that. We don't live under the law, the law has been fulfilled. This is the glory that we are beholden to. It is the Holy Spirit that, is in, as Paul states in verse, four, verse 18, transforms us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's not through our own efforts. Paul doesn't say through our hard work that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. He says through the Holy Spirit we are transformed. So brothers and sisters in Christ, do not lose heart. Continue to strive towards faithfulness in your walk with Christ and to the Great Commission. Know that he will enable you to do the work for which he has called you to do. And it will not be apostolic as in the case of Paul. And it will probably not be vocational ministry. It will probably not be international missions. It might be. But he has called you, whatever station you are in life, to reflect his light in the light of the gospel. He has called you to live and to proclaim the merciful grace of God that he may use you as an instrument to draw people unto himself. And maybe, and I hope that you are, maybe you're burdened for family members or friends who have not accepted God's forgiveness for their sins and do not know of his mercy and his love. Please remember that there's nothing that you can do to open their eyes. It's just as there was nothing that you could do to open your own eyes. But I'm sure, and I know that I am, eternally grateful for the people in my life who showed and spoke the gospel into my life that eventually enough light infiltrated my heart, that the veil was removed from my eyes, and I began to see the glory of the Lord clearly. Can you guys remember those people in your life who were instrumental in leading you to the Lord, that you saw by the way that they lived their life, and you saw by the words that came out of their mouth, the proclamation of the gospel, that it was true. So it is a privilege, and it's an honor to proclaim this message indiscriminately, because we do not know who will respond. But please do realize that this proclamation isn't a burden, but it's a privilege. And so that leads us to our second point. Gospel proclamation is a privilege. We shouldn't look at it as a burden. And sometimes I look at that as a burden. Like evangelism is not always fun, right? Because with evangelism, there's a good chance we could be rejected, right? People could say, no, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't agree with that. Or people could just be indifferent to it. Yeah, 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 I've already done that. Like I'm good. I'm good with God. It's between me and God. It's personal. And so we're so afraid of rejection that we forget about it. But we forget that it's not in our hands. It's not through the words that we speak or how wise we are how how good our understanding is. It's through the Spirit's work in us. And so we need to realize that the Holy Spirit is what draws people to God. He uses us to do that. And we should do it indiscriminately. Despite its cost, it's worth it. And so uh, Whitney and I and the kids, we just got back a couple weeks ago from Richmond. Richmond is the, the headquarters for the IMB, and so we go for a training for all the missionaries that are on furlough. We go to this place and so it was a really sweet time of fellowship with other people who really you know we felt kind of understood us that like we got each other like we've experienced the same things gone through the same things but we realized too that not all missionaries suffer equally and some suffer more depending on where they're serving and so we were able to serve with a lot of uh, fellow fellow M's that were kicked out of uh, china in particular and recently out of afghanistan i think it was specifically about those that were kicked out of afghanistan um, not that they were kicked out, but they were literally forced out of there. But they carried a really heavy burden because they left behind nationals who couldn't get out. So a lot of those Afghani pastors and believers are stuck in Afghanistan, now in a country that's under Taliban control. And for most of these people, they know what that's going to be like. They lived through it before. Some of them come to Christ in this, this um, I don't know, this gap in Taliban rule um, that, that many people came to know the Lord in this time. So if nothing came from that struggle, then many people came to the Lord because of that um but they're left there and they're left there and they know that if they continue to open their mouth and they continue to plan, proclaim the gospel message they're probably going to be met with imprisonment and then probably beyond that torture and death okay they know that they know that but they're continuing to do it they're continuing to be faithful because they know that it's worth it and so i think if they can approach the gospel in that way then we can here in in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina in the Bible Belt um if you don't go to downtown Asheville, which is not the Bible Belt, but in, in the area around um, that you proclaim uh, the gospel. So we, we face very little persecution compared to what our brothers and sisters in Christ face in Afghanistan. So we must reorient our lives around, around Christ, that by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit, we will be truly transformed. Um, so now we've made it full circle. Now we're back to chapter four, verse one. And so now we know what that therefore is referencing. We know that therefore references um, that we are to be encouraged and not to lose heart because the Holy Spirit is transforming and sanctifying us to do the work of God, to draw people to himself by proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel out in our lives. So now let's look at verse 2 of chapter 4. Paul says, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of truth we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So the point here is pretty clear. We must refuse to cowardly acquiesce to the pressures of the world. And furthermore, we must not preach the gospel for selfish gain. <clears throat> so in speaking to the pressure to soften the gospel in response to hostility, we must remember that the gospel message is deeply offensive to lost people. Right? We don't see it that way. We don't see the gospel as being offensive because we're on the other side of it. We're redeemed. We're children of the Father. Right? We're part of this family. But they're not. And so they don't see it as a positive message because the gospel begins with realizing what you need to be saved from. And that's sin, right? And that's not something that people really want to hear. That's not a popular message in our culture. It's not a popular message to our humanity and our brokenness. And so we must remember that the gospel message is offensive and that these people don't look at it as life-giving. And rightfully so because the gospel message is first a message of condemnation and then it becomes a message of redemption. The gospel implies that we are a people that are in need of a Savior and are incapable of saving ourselves. How antithetical to our own culture is this, right? Have you thought about that? Especially to the American culture, to Western culture, that you can't do it yourself, that you can't become whatever you want, that you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do whatever your heart desires, you can't follow your dreams. That's not the gospel message. That's something else. Our culture creates self-esteem. And self-actualization to the detriment of any other concern. So that's creating an idol. That's our golden calf today is this message of, and self-esteem is not a bad thing. But when self-esteem becomes the ultimate aim, it becomes a bad thing. So ultimately this manifests itself in worship of the self. Kind of like a Romans 1 kind of way. And of our abilities to be self-sufficient and to realize our deepest dreams and ambitions. So I saw the perfect example of this the other day. So for, for pastors, I feel like we're always looking for like, for illustrations. And for missionaries, it's easier. I told, I told uh, Pastor Dennis last night, I was like, it's, it's easy for me now. I, I got to have one good sermon, okay? I don't even know it's good, but I got to have one sermon, right? Okay, Ben, he's got to preach every week. You know, it gets hard, but I got to have one sermon. And I've tweaked it a little bit, so my wife doesn't have to do the exact same thing. But in looking for illustrations, a good place to look is Disney movies, right? If you're looking for an illustration of our culture and, and kind of overdone uh, aspects. So my daughters were watching the movie Mulan 2, um, which is like an animated movie, Mulan, princess warrior from China who um, cuts off her hair and pretends to be a boy so she can fight for her country so her father doesn't have to and I don't know there's more to the story than that I don't know the whole story but what I watched was enough to illustrate to me the, the illustration I want to make today so in Mulan in Mulan too so she's speaking to General Shang Li and he says he's frustrated with her and he's like he says you place your feelings above everything else Mulan he's saying it frustrated and she responds to him by saying my heart tells me my duty, and I follow it. I always trust my heart. Right? That sounds nice, right? That sounds like you write that on a Hallmark card, but have you thought about that? Have you thought about, isn't your heart broken? Does your heart always lead you in the right place? No. So the problem is that is that we've been corrupted by sin. This mentality has no place within Christianity. I like what John Calvin said. He said it pretty bluntly when he said, if you contemplate yourself, that is sure damnation. So if you get too fixated with yourself, that's a good way to face the fires of hell. So varied, he, he didn't mince his words, so very to the point. Self-examination must direct us to Christ, not to ourself, not to a better version of ourself. We must never look upon ourselves apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, who, can alo- who alone can shed light upon Christ's saving work. As Christians, <clears throat> we cannot maintain our self-autonomy. But this concept isn't popular in 21st century American society. But it is the heart of the gospel. We must not surrender the gospel. We must strive towards self-forgetfulness and fight against self-adoration. The gospel is initially offensive to those who have not yet been captivated by the glory of God. So it attacks the very core nature uh, of our our sin nature. In 2 Corinthians 11.4, Paul addresses a different gospel that was being preached. And one that was being accepted by those in the Corinthian church. And Paul, in response to them accepting these different gospels, these false gospels, he says in 2 Corinthians eleven four, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put out with it easily enough. Satan's deception involves the preaching of a different gospel. Any gospel that doesn't emphasize the message of salvation by faith in Christ alone is of Satan. This gospel promises us redemption of sins, new life, adoption into the family of God. However, false gospels more than often play to our humanity. They play into our desire to be autonomous, to be the lords of our own life, which is not the gospel. And they give us autonomy of our lives. Without fully submitting to, to God, they put the focus on what we get out of a relationship with God instead of who God is. They place the object on ourselves instead of on God. <clears throat> they, I'm <clears throat> sorry, losing my voice here. Um, <clears throat> they play to what we can get from Jesus instead of who he is. And so, uh, one example, we all know this example very well, maybe this is overplayed, but this is a very real threat to the church around the world, and the church in America, and that's the prosperity gospel, right? The gospel of health and wealth, but these are not things that Jesus promises us, right? Jesus was met with death on a cross, an agonizing death on the cross. The apostles were all killed for their faith, and John exiled. And so these gospels use Jesus as a means to an end instead of focusing on his worship and glory. So that leads us to the next point, which I think we've already gotten to, actually. That's the gospel is offensive. I got to that a while ago, but anyway, the gospel is offensive. And so Let's go to verses 3 and 4 now of chapter 4. Paul continues. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, we are able to be confident ministers of the gospel because we are ministers of the Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit? For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Right? The new covenant is ushered in by the Spirit. The, the law was ushered in. The letter is ushered in by the law. A list of things of do's and do nots, right? But the law has been fulfilled in Jesus. We don't live under the law anymore. And that's good news. So, you see, God gave the law to the Israelites, his revealed will, but he didn't give them a means of keeping it, right? The law was given to expose our sin, to expose the sin of the Israelites, right? So they could know they needed a Savior to make them expectant for the coming Messiah to come. But he has come. Now, we abide and we rest in Christ because he has come. And we don't abide and rest in our ability to be moral But we abide because he has made it possible for us to abide in him, because of his merciful grace. As he adopts us into his family, we are regenerate and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this empowers us to proclaim the gospel and to grow in sanctification as he conforms us into his image, that we may reflect his image in a fallen world. So let's go now back to chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the lord who is the spirit so we can see that our salvation our conformity to the image of christ is due to the beholding of god's glory so it is logical to understand that those who do not know christ and have not experienced god's glory will reject it they have a veil over their eyes which obscures their view paul says this message is veiled to those who are perishing In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing. So here Paul uses the expression, he uses little g, God, the God of this world. And that is a reference to Satan. So he says Satan is blinding these people so they can't see the gospel, they can't see the glory of God. The hardness of the heart of the unbeliever makes it impossible for the light of Christ to penetrate and to recognize the good news of the gospel. In fact, God has to be the one to open their eyes so they may see his glory and see who he is. Otherwise, they're quite content to live their lives for this world and to become complacent in the comforts and pleasures it offers. And sometimes even as believers, we're tempted to make the world our home. If anything, living in Albania and doing a mission has really made me realize that my home is truly in heaven, right, I feel like a foreigner in Albania because I'm a foreigner and now I come back to America and now I'm a little weird here too. My driving scares people, right? Watch out for the green Dodge caravan in the parking lot after service, right? Like, it, it, it reorients you, you know? Like, you can go to Kroger or, or grocery store and have a, a panic attack because there's so many choices. You, it makes you feel foreign even in America, right? But our home is truly a heavenly home. And so it's made me to realize that. Let's put off that temptation. C.S. Lewis famously said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I think that's our problem. But also for the unbelievers who haven't seen Christ's beauty and, God and Christ's glory, who their eyes have not been opened, this is the only thing that they know. They're living for themselves. They're living for this world. But we're not as believers. So when we fail to behold God's glory, our eyes are closed, our vision is obscured. Which leads us to the next point. God enables us to respond to him in his mercy. And praise God that he does. Let's move on to verses 6 and 7. Here, Paul makes an appeal to the light shining out of the darkness. And this is a reference to Genesis 1-3, which is part of the creation narrative. In Genesis 1-3, God begins the creative process by speaking light into existence. So, in the same way that God spoke creation into existence by saying, Let there be light, He has ushered in the new creation by using light to draw people unto Himself. We receive the light because He first shone the light. He called us out of the darkness and into the knowledge of His marvelous light through Jesus Christ. And as sons and daughters of the king, we ought to reflect that light into a dark world. I believe that there is implication for us as believers as light bearers and light reflectors to go to the abyss, to go to the darkest places on earth. And that is the biggest reason God's got a hold of our attention through different things, through short-term mission trips, through having a really bad year where both of our dads were diagnosed with cancer, and we lost our child, uh, our, our second daughter at eight months into the pregnancy and had a terrible year. God used those things to get our attention. But the ultimate reason that we went to Albania is to reflect the light of Christ That they may come to know him. That enough light will infiltrate and get through that veil that their eyes will be opened. That's why we go. Because we have been called to go and take the light to the darkest place. And that's not just a call for myself and for my family. That's a call for all of us as believers to go and to partner together. And maybe that doesn't mean to go physically to another place, but maybe that means to pray for us as we're on the field sharing the gospel. And for those Albanian believers who are sharing the gospel or our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are facing real persecution for their faith but are not wavering to the threat of persecution. Maybe it's to give to a light of Moon Christmas offering. Maybe it's to go on a short-term trip to Albania or to another part of the world that needs to know of the gospel. And so this is a job for all believers. We're all light reflectors. But it's also to be faithful where God has placed you at and your community here. And so we have to remember, too, when we go to these dark places, that these are places that don't enjoy some of the things that we enjoy. Right? Because with all the bad news about America, and I've heard a lot of bad news about America, When I turn on the news in Albania, a lot of times all I'm hearing about is America, unfortunately. I thought I could get away from it, but we still have news that's fixated on us. We do kind of run the world to a certain degree. But there is a big world out there that's not us, and I think we should be not self-focused. So I think the American church uh, should should sometimes be a good example to the culture around us that there is a big world out there, and that's a lost world out there. And uh, so, but uh, something that, that we've noticed is that we enjoy... The common grace of a Christian heritage here, right? Maybe it's being lost to some degree and we're mourning the losing of that. But it doesn't mean that we're losing regenerate believers. It means we're losing some influence in our world and it is sad and we should mourn that. But in Albania, they don't know some of these things, right? They don't have remnants of the Christian faith like justice, equality, and charity. Like these things that come from Christianity. Our Western culture and society has taken a lot of things from a Judeo-Christian perspective, right? That are not known in other parts of the world. They'll lie, cheat, and steal to your face, right? Not like here. We'll do it behind your back, at least. We have that decency. That's our Christian influence, right? Um, so, but these are places where people are perishing apart from the divine mercy of God, and thus they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. As believers, we believe that. That's what the word says. And it may not be powerful. It may not be popular of a message, but it's the, it's the message that we have. And that shouldn't motivate us to go to these people out of love. So there's enormous need, and we ought to pray for those people who may not look like us, who may not speak the same language as us, who may not understand very well, who maybe football doesn't mean the same thing to them. That was a really tragedy. When when they talk about football, they're talking about soccer, which is is sad to me. But they need Jesus, right? Maybe they need Jesus even more because of that fact. So we know, though, we share in our humanity. We share in a brokenness. We We are all totally depraved. We can do nothing in and of ourselves. That's good. But... He's made a way for us, and he's made a way for them. And the way that he's made for them, the people that don't know him, is us that do know him, that we're to go and to spread this message of hope. So these people, unlike us, who were not blessed to be born into a, in a Christian nation and maybe not even blessed enough to live in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina in the heart of the Bible Belt, and to have people who have been preaching and speaking the gospel into our lives, because we have benefited from that heritage of having grandparents and, past- and, and parents and pastors and teachers and neighbors and coaches speaking the gospel into our life and reflecting his light. Even if there's a lot of darkness around here, there's been some light that we've come to know. There, they have less light. They have 0.5% of the population who is an evangelical Christian. They don't have the same light that we have access to. How blessed we are to live with that light. And I want to encourage you guys. If you've lived with that light, you've lived with that influence, but you're not quite sure, you haven't quite made a decision to come to Christ, then maybe this morning would be that opportunity. I pray that God would convict you of your sin and that He would move you closer to Him. That He may come to the end of yourself, that you may revel in His glory, and it is glorious. Now let's close with verse seven, which says, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay, the so the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us." So the treasure that Paul speaks about is the gospel. It is our salvation. It is actually a direct reference to the previous verse. So our treasure is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That's what Paul's speaking to. That's the treasure that we have. He then says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. So what does jars of clay refer to here? So in the ancient world, jars of clay is used as a metaphor to refer to human weakness and frailty, So Paul wants his readers to understand that the gospel that we know and the salvation that has been bestowed upon us is not a result of our efforts or our merits, but has been given to us in spite of our weakness and frailty. God's victory is not contingent upon our performance. Thank God we are co-heirs and co-victors with him, not because we were equals with him, but because he has chosen to share his glory with us so that we might enjoy him and we might make his glory known to others. And this is the final point. He has chosen to share his glory with us that so we can share His glory with others. And we ought to do that. And so I want to uh, summarize the points. If you're taking them down, if you didn't take them down, maybe here's your point. If you get nothing out of the sermon, here's the five points. God is faithful. Gospel proclamation is a privilege. The gospel is offensive, but preach it anyway. God enables us to respond to Him in His mercy, and He has chosen to share His glory with us so we might make it known to others. And so I hope that these uh, words spur us to action, that, they, that we might reflect his light better in our lives. We might be thinking about ways that we can reflect his light better in our lives. And if you haven't submitted to him, if you haven't come to the end of yourself and come to a position where uh, you're, you're, you're bowing before his throne and, it, and you're reveling in his glory and in how beautiful he is, how great he is, um, that you would do that this morning. That this would be that opportunity. So we're going to close in prayer.